We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Wonderful. Great. Thank you so much, Dan. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris. Really, um, just wrecking the joint. Really nice to see you all and um, good to be together. Um, So today we are going to be in the book of Ruth. So uh, over the last few weeks we've been going through a book of the Bible called Ruth and um, I'd love you to have it open in front of you. So our wonderful welcome team at the back, they've got some Bibles so that you can have one in front of you and you can borrow one today. Um, All you need to do is just put your hand up in the air and they will bring one to you. Um, Just keep it up until it arrives to you in your seat and you can borrow it uh, for this morning. In fact, it might be that the reason why your hand is up is because you just don't own a Bible and if that's the case then you can write your name in this one and you can you can have it you can keep it as a free gift it will bless you and do you good Um, so yeah just keep keep hold of it Um, they they continue to come around and um, Ruth is near the start of the Bible you probably need to go in about six or seven books but at the beginning of your bible there is like a contents page so if you just look for the name Ruth it just comes after Joshua and Judges and then you'll you'll find you'll find Ruth Uh, before we get we're going to be in Ruth chapter three before we get there um, I just want to let you know about a special Sunday that we've got coming up on the 10th of July and we're going to call that our commissioning Sunday and uh, on that Sunday morning we're going to invite up uh, our various different ministry leaders and life group leaders and we've, we're just going to get them up the front so that you know who they all are and we're going to pray for them. We're also, I'm also going to tell you about some new employment uh, for the, in the future of the church and uh, we're going to pray for that too and so I'd love you to put that date in your diary that commissioning Sunday as we just gather together we celebrate all that God is is doing in our church we pray for those people who are taking on responsibility or already continue to take on responsibility of leadership in our church and we just celebrate them and we can see all that God is doing in us and through us as a church so 10th of July put it in your diary we'll remind you over the coming weeks as well about it as we come and celebrate together. Okay. So today, I've called um, this talk, Waiting on the Lord. And often, waiting can be one of the toughest things to do. Catherine has lots of experience of waiting on me. Um, and it started really right at the very beginning of our relationship. And um, I remember, um, she probably remembers it better than me, um, I remember, because she's, she's good at remembering, um, I remember that what happened was that we, uh, you know, I think I told you before about there was a few moments of connection where we might, you know, watch a film and her head leans on my shoulder and it's, oh, electricity, exciting. And um, after a few weeks of this kind of thing, and, you know, I used to walk around the campus looking to see if I could find her spot, just catch her eye. Um, we started uh, sort of hanging out, maybe sometimes having a coffee or something together. And maybe after about five or six weeks, um, we, were, we were sitting down and she was trying to lay hints. And she was like saying, oh, so some of my girlfriends are asking, um, you know, what's, what's our deal? What's, what's the thing between us? And I'd just be like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're hanging out, getting to know each other. And she's like, oh, okay, because, you know, I want to be able to potentially tell them more about that. And 
oh yeah, but you know, just hanging out is good. That's a good line, isn't it, for us to have for now? And, um, you know, she's like, come on, Chris, get the hint. I want you to ask me out. And uh, I remember sitting there and she's like, you know, because it'd be, it'd be nice to be able to say, you know, if this is official or not. And I was like, oh, oh, you mean you want me to ask you to be my girlfriend? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, and that was, and I was like, okay, do you want to be my girlfriend? <laughs> Very romantic. <laughs> it's genuine, yeah. I did better on the engagement. I was, you know, I was ahead of the engagement. But Waiting can be really tough. It can be hard work. It can be painful at times where you feel like you know, you, you feel like you know something's going to happen. You might feel like you know that you're meant to be with a particular person or you're meant to be in a job or you feel like you know that God has called you to a particular situation, but it's, just, but it's not quite happening. Maybe you're in a circumstance, or you're in a situation, you're like, God, can you just break through and just make something happen? Why, why am I waiting? It can be really tough in those seasons. And, um, and what I love about the book of Ruth is that it's not about like the supernatural, the miracles, the things that we see all the amazing people of the Bible do. It's just a, it's like about you and me. It's about a couple who have just gone through a difficult season. And We've gone through, I'm going to recap a little bit where the story is, just so you know. But we get to this point where Ruth kind of knows what's going to happen. But at the very, the very last verse of chapter 3, which we're going to meet, read at the moment, Naomi says, but you've got to wait. You've got to wait. And you've got to let Boaz handle the situation. Waiting can sometimes be one of the toughest things we have to do as we think, come on God, I just... I just want you to break through. I just want the situation to change. I just want the next thing to happen. I, I, I can see that that's where you want me to be. Or, or maybe I'm not sure, but why, why do I have to wait? Why can't you just get on and sort this out? It can be really tough. And so what we're going to do is we're going to learn a little bit, bit about what does it mean to be waiting on the Lord. So let me recap the story for you, especially if you're here for the first time, because you won't you won't know what's going on in this book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is about a, there's a couple called Elimelech and Naomi. That's the husband and the wife. And they live in a place called Bethlehem, uh, which you might have heard of before, a little town of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, actually what that means is a house of bread, but there's a famine in Bethlehem. There's no bread. There's no wheat. There's no fruit. There's no harvest. And so Elimelech and Naomi, they decide, you know what, we're going to leave the house of bread and we're going to go to a different territory. And they go to a place called Moab. Now, Moab is like the enemy of the people of God. The people of God live in Bethlehem. The enemy live in Moab. And they decide they're going to go to Moab. And they have two sons. And they end up, what they do is they end up settling down roots in Moab. Their two sons marry Moabite women and... Uh, after 10 years, what happens is that the husband dies and the two sons die. And so you're left with Naomi, the mother, and then two of her daughters, her daughters-in-law. Orpah, one of the daughters, she decides to leave. But Ruth, who the book is named after, she stays. And she has these amazing words where she goes to Naomi, hey, where you go, I will go. Where you where you will be, I will be. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And it's like an amazing uh, sense of loyalty. But Naomi, she knows what that is going to mean for Ruth to stay with her. Naomi and Ruth, they, they hear about how back in Bethlehem, there's a harvest coming. The rains have come. God has provided for his people back in Bethlehem. And they decide to return. But Naomi tries to convince Ruth, don't go with me. Because the Ruth has got everything going against her. 
She is a widow, for a start. It's not, it's not a good place to be. She's probably infertile, or perhaps she thinks she is because she's, got, she's had no children after 10 years of being married. She um, will be going back in shame with her mother-in-law who left the people of God and now they're on their way back. And she feels, hey, she's probably, Naomi's thinking, look, you're not going to be treated well because you haven't got any heirs. We haven't got any husbands to look after us or protect us. You're probably infertile or at least barren. And not only that is that she is a Moabite woman. And the Moabites, they had all sorts of evil practices, which would include things like child sacrifice towards their God. It would include things like um, kind of sexual uh, acts of worship before their God as well. And so she's kind of got quite quite a bit of baggage, quite a big history. She comes from a people that um, don't particularly treat others well. She's an enemy of Israel. She has no prospects, no hope. And she's got a mother-in-law that decided to change her name from Naomi, which means my delight, to Mara, which means like bitter, bitter old woman. And what happens is they go back to the town of Bethlehem. They go back there anyway and, uh, because they believe that's where they, they're meant to be. And in chapter two, that's all of chapter one. That's all what happens. In chapter two, we find out that they, they interact with a man called Boaz. And let me just tell you a little bit about Boaz because that's going to be important for today. Boaz is a man of standing. And in all the books of the Bible around the book of Ruth, like in Joshua and Judges, Boaz is a man who is marked out, completely different to everyone else. You see, um, in, throughout Judges, you've got lots of men who look like they're going to do well, but they end up falling away. They end up not fulfilling all, the, all their potential. People like Samson, actually, he starts off well, but he ends up falling, kind of falling away and not fulfilling his potential, and, and lots of others. Um, and yet, in the midst of that, you've got a guy called Boaz who's completely different to everyone else. In the first start of chapter two, it says that he is a man of standing in the community. He's a noble man. He's a righteous man. He's, 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 a, he's single as well, though. So he's a single man who's righteous, who lives in Bethlehem, who is uh, one of the people of God from, from the Israelite nation. And... Um, there is a rule in the, with the people of God, which was when they went into the promised land, Bethlehem being part of it, every single kind of tribe was given a piece of the land. And every kind of family in that tribe was given land. And that was part of their inheritance. Okay? And what would happen is over years, if, um, say, someone fell into debt, they might sell themselves into slavery to someone else. They might end up having to sell some of their land they, uh, and they would have to give it to someone else. And, or what might happen is because like, um, the inheritance went through the male line, if like, any males in the family died, then they, they, the, the women would be without land as well. And so there was this thing that your next of kin, or your kinsman, there's another way for that, could be able to buy back the land for you. Or they could, they could marry into the family. And if they married, then the children that was bared would be named as the dead husband's son. So that that family line could carry on inheriting the land. It was kind of like a way to protect people's honour from generation after generation after generation. So that if you found yourself in tricky situations, if you found yourself in debt, it wouldn't mean that your children and your children's children would suffer. It's, quite, it's probably quite a good system, actually. Um, it tries to build equality within the whole of the nation to try to make sure that actually, 
even though some people might make the bad decisions or hardship might come on some, that their some their generations would be protected and still have rights to the land, which would mean flourishing and fruitfulness and harvest and feeding and protection and all sorts of different things. And so we're introduced, so we find out about this man called Boaz, and when Ruth and Naomi return back, they're, they're poor, they're widows, they've got no home, they've got no money, and so they, they have to, they're like foreigners in the land essentially, and they, they act in that way, and so the only way to look after themselves is to glean from the harvest field, and so you'd have the harvesters that would go, you know, and anything that was left behind, the foreigners could pick up and they could glean, and they could take that home for their food. And so throughout chapter 2, it, he has these phrases where it says, hey, it just so happens that when they returned, hey, the barley harvest was ripe. It just so happens that when they started to glean, they gleaned in Boaz's, Boaz's um, harvest field. just so happened that Boaz, man, it happened to be one of the only people of uh, nobility and righteousness and standing. And he ends up looking after Ruth, showing her undeserved unmerited unearned kindness and grace and abundance he lavishes on her also like more barley than she can even carry and he treats her really well in verse 14 of chapter 2 we find out that he invites her to a meal the, the harvest is about three months long and they have a meal and at that meal they enjoy bread and wine together and um, he protects her he makes sure that other workers don't like rape her or don't um, treat her badly. He shows her grace upon grace and he is just lavish to her. And now we get to the point in chapter three where it's the end of the harvest. Time is running out. At the end of the harvest, Boaz would end up going back to the town. He, he won't have these daily kind of interactions with Ruth. They've had three months together and at the moment he hasn't, he's, he's a nobleman and he's much older than Ruth and so he hasn't, although he has a higher status, higher economic power, he has power in the nation, although he has all these things, he doesn't use that to his advantage to make sure that he gets Ruth. Instead he leaves it up to her to choose whether she wants to get with him or not. In fact, he makes an assumption, which we're going to see in a moment, he makes an assumption that she will go with someone else, her own age. Um, and, yeah. So, we're at the end of the harvest. They're about to, they're going to be separated after this. And uh, Ruth and Naomi, they come up with a plan. In fact, chapters two and chapter three, they mirror each other. You get a plan, then you get a divine kind of connection and then you get rejoicing. And so you'll see that pattern. We're just going to read through. In today's talk, what we're going to do is we're going to read through the passage. We'll see the plan. We'll see this divine connection and meeting. And then we'll see some rejoicing. And um, we're going to read it through. And then we're going to see what God has to say to us. So hopefully you found it. Ruth chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Oh, and there's, there's some relational advice that I'll pick out as we go. I'm going to read a bit, talk a bit, read a bit, talk a bit. Okay, chapter one. Chapter three, verse one. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, hey, Boaz, remember that guy? Boaz, who, with whose women you have worked as a is a relative of ours. He is one of these, he, he is a next of kin to Naomi, so he can be someone who will, uh, can kind of redeem Naomi. 
Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. This is one of the things that you do right at the end of the harvest. That's how we know the time frame. And so she says, why don't you wash, put on some perfume, or another translation would be anoint yourself in oil, and get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet, um, lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So let's just pause there. Um, in terms of relationship advice for everyone, I think it's, here's some good things to do. You like someone? Have a wash. It's a good thing to do. Um, in our verse, it says, put on some perfume. Uh, yeah, some, if you've got an ESV translation, it will say, anoint yourself with oil. And when, what, what um, Naomi's advice really is, is that because um, Ruth has been a widow, she would be kind of going around in her widow's clothes and in the evening. But during the day, when she's interacting with Boaz and seeing him on the fields, she would be in her work clothes, hair up in a bun, sweating, you know, out in the fields, working hard. And so she said, no, come on, go and wash. Take off the old you know, grieving clothes. The time of grieving is done. The time of mourning is done. Get yourself dressed up. Anoint yourself with oil. Make yourself smell nice. Look fresh. Look presentable. And um, get yourself dressed in your best clothes. And then go. Good advice for any single person here. If you're looking for a relationship, have a wash. Make yourself smell life. Look presentable. Take, if you've, mate, it might be you've been gone for a difficult time and you've been mourning and grieving. Do you know what? The time for mourning and grieving is done. Put a smile on your face. It's always better to interact with someone in that way, isn't it? Get yourself dressed. Put on your finest clothes. And, um, and then step in. The next bit, it says, hey, wait. She, Naomi said, see, it's always good to get advice from a woman that's already been married before because they have the best advice, right? And she says, wait until he's finished eating and drinking. Anyone here who's in a relationship will know that the best time to try to get something out of your spouse is once they're et, once they're fed and they've et, and they're rested and they're relaxed. You try doing it. You, Catherine tried talking to me when I get home from work and I'm tired and I'm hungry. Then you know it's a difficult conversation. But feed me and give me some drink. Put my feet up on a sofa. You can have whatever you like, darling. It's all good. <laughs> Put the football on and it's even better. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Naomi knows she's got some good advice and you know it's good for all of us actually to be to be thinking about to be presentable for others and it goes on Ruth says yes she takes Naomi's advice I will do whatever you say so she went down to the threshing floor did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do and when Boaz had finished eating and drinking he was in good spirits And he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly. She uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned. Maybe he felt the the covers tugging or something. And uh, there was a woman lying at his feet. And he says, who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Let's just pause there. It's quite a strange thing to do. And, you know, my, if you're a young single person and you're looking to get married, I don't think you should follow this advice. Don't go into their bedroom at night and, you know, get under the covers. That's not good advice. But in this particular scenario, actually, this is referencing something else. You see, back in chapter 2, 
verse 12. Boaz, who shows kindness and generosity, he blesses, he kind of dedicates uh, Ruth. And he says this, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose under whose wings you can come to take refuge. That phrase, under whose wings you can take refuge, um, that is, is like a one Hebrew word, and it's the exact phrase that Ruth uses here. So when she comes and uncovers, uncovers her feet and kind of lies under the corner of her feet, she's kind of saying, she's, it's like a prophetic picture, she's saying, hey, Boaz, you, you prayed that the Lord would bless me, that I would find refuge under his wings, and I'm coming to you, and I'm, it's like a prophetic picture, I believe that I can find that in you. I believe that in you I can find safety. I believe in you I can find refuge. I can find protection. I believe actually the Lord is able to work through you to, to, to bring me well-being and goodness and flourishing. It's the exact same phrase. Later on, in Malachi, this is a guy, this is the very last book of the Bible. It's a prophetic picture where Malachi has of a future Messiah who's going to come. And he uses the exact same phrase. And he says, you will find healing under his wings. You'll find protection under his wings. You'll find safety under his wings. It's a picture of Jesus that actually, if you want to know this kind of abundance, this flourishing, this grace, this protection, this divine kind of relationship where you will never get let down, that he will never fail you, it can only be found in Jesus. It's what Malachi says. And here's a little picture of it here where Ruth finds it in Boaz. And Boaz says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. It's kind of like how he he sees her. He, he, He didn't use any of his power or his status to make this relationship happen. She He left it up to her. But now that she's come and she said, hey, actually, you're the one I would want. He says, okay, the Lord bless you. This kindness is greater than that that you've shown to me ever before. You've not run after the younger men. You've not run after the rich or the poor. No, now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you whatever you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a God and redeemer of our family, there is another who is closely related than I. So stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as the guardian and redeemer, then he can do that. But if he is not... Uh, willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will, I will do it. So wait here till then. These are these verses is like she's she's kind of gone. She's she's kind of approached her and says, "Hey, I I want you. I, w- I want to be with you." And he's turned around and he said, "Yeah, I, I will do it. I will make a way." But interestingly, the reason why you know I said before that he he hasn't like acted out of his power or status because he's clearly done his homework. He, they've clearly had a connection. They've, you know, they've had the meals together. They've, and he's done his homework. And he's probably looked into it. He's looked into the legal status. Oh, is, is this someone that I can redeem? And he's found out that there's someone else. Actually, so even in the middle of the night when she approaches him, um, he knows, actually, I, we can't do anything right now. But it's something that I'll look to in the morning. I'll look to settle the matter because there's someone else who can redeem you. Now, um, that other person... We'll, we'll find out more about next week. But essentially, that, the opportunity to redeem someone can come with benefits because you get to inherit the land that, um, that, that that family would have owned. But the downside is that the children that you have with that person, 
they are the, the true heirs of that. So it's like if you've got a previous marriage, you, your line won't get any of that. They will. It also means that if that family come with any debts, you inherit all their debts. And it also means that if that family are of um, disrepute, like Ruth, who's a Moabite, then you also, you get that attached to your family name. And so there's, it's not straightforward why people would want to or not want to do it. But here we see that Boaz, he looks straight past the fact that she's a Moabite, the fact that she's a widow, the fact that she's come back in shame. And in fact, he honours her and says, no, everyone knows your noble character. He kind of, he's, he's pouring out another blessing on her, just being kind to her, being gracious to her. And uh, so let's carry on. It says, so she, she lay at his feet until the morning. This is verse 14. And she got up before anyone could be recognized. Um, and, and Boaz said, hey, no one must know that you came to the threshing floor. And he's, but he said to her before she left, hey, bring me a shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, she poured it, he poured in six measures of barley and placed it on her. And then she went back to the town. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she asked, hey, how did it go? How did it go, my daughter? Did, you know, did he, did he go free? What, what happened? And um, it says that she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added that he gave her six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then it says, which we come back to the beginning, Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Um, waiting is such a hard thing to do. It's so difficult. You know, you, you, you kind of, for Ruth, she can see... She, can, she knows there's a connection. She knows that Boaz is interested. She knows that there's a future and a hope for her. But right now, in this moment, in this time, in this circumstance, she's got to wait. And what does waiting look like for her? Well, it didn't look like running away. She didn't give up. She didn't think, oh, maybe I'm going to go and have a conversation with this other guy, this other redeemer, and just, like, go after her. She didn't do that. She... She didn't, um, yeah, she didn't kind of think, oh, he's, he's going to give up. She didn't like lose faith in him and think, oh, he's just not going to bother. He's not going to try. He's not going to, you know, she didn't kind of disrespect him in that way. She waited. And uh, again, we'll find out next week what, what's, what's going to happen. But there, were, there could have been all sorts of reasons why she might have felt herself unworthy of him. And we've talked about them, the infertility, the Moabite, the baggage, the widow, the, the mother-in-law who's, you know, going around calling herself bitter, the tricky and complicated situation that she finds herself, herself in. And yet by the end of this chapter, we, or by the end of the book, we do know that it will work out. But the kind of thing that I want to bring to us today is, is God's faithfulness the fact that he works out the situation in the end? Or is God's faithfulness the fact that he walks with us through the journeys of life? Because I believe it's that. I believe that for, there'll be many of us in all sorts of different situations here today. And we're longing and waiting and seeking God. God, would you sort out this situation? Would you break through in this place, in, in my relationship or in my workplace or in my family or in my church or wherever it might be? God, will you break through? But I believe today God wants to encourage us that actually even in the waiting, you can know his strength. 
Even in the waiting, you can know him um, filling you and being with you. Even in the waiting, you can know that he is faithful. That's what we've been singing. Faithful you are. Faithful you are to your promises. That They are yes and amen. And I will rest in them. And I'll trust you in them. And I'll, I will wait in them. And those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And we can, we can know that. And we can... We can know that actually that God is able to work with us through those difficult challenges. And so a good question is, what will you do or what do you do when, when this happens to you? Do you wait and trust? Do you seek him? Or do you run? Do you hide? Do you get, I don't know, insecure? Do you say No. I know there's many people in this church that have been going through all sorts of challenging and tricky situations. And what's been so encouraging to me is um, how they've been actually just trusting in God. Do you know what, Lord? I'm just going to wait on you. I'm just going to trust you. I know that you are at work and that you're moving. And even though I don't see it, and even though I don't feel it, I know that you are able to work in this situation. You are able to make a way. You are able to work through it. And in a moment, I want us to take time to pray. But before I do, I just want to, um, you know, it's always good to bring this back to Jesus. And there's two things, really. One is that, what about our approach? Because you see, Ruth, she could have felt unworthy. She could have felt like she's got too much baggage. She could have felt like she's just way too far for God. She could have felt like the situations that she's been in in her life are too, too big, that her past is too big, that she can't offer anything. She could have looked around and compared herself to all the Israelite women and say, like, Lord, they're so much better suited to Boaz than me, a Moabite woman who's far from you. That She could have felt that her situation is just too tricky, too complicated, too vast to be comprehended. And... Yet she comes to Boaz and he, he says, I'm going to go on a journey to the town to settle the situation. Do you know, in exactly the same way, Jesus, who was in heaven, went on a journey from heaven to earth to settle the situations that we find ourselves in, the sin and the shame that separate us from God. He came as a single man of noble reputation who was righteous from the town of Bethlehem, who was generous, who pours out his abundance and love and grace, his undeserved, unmerited, unearned favour. And he invites each and every one of us to a meal, to the bread and to the wine, to come and celebrate and participate in all the lengths that he went to to make sure that your sin and your shame will be covered by dying on the cross and by rising again. And he doesn't promise that it's all going to be fine. He doesn't say that the rest of your life then, when you put your trust in him, will just be smooth sailing. No, far from it. But instead, he says, he will guarantee that he will be with you on the journey, that he won't leave you that he won't forsake you, that he won't give up on you, that he is willing to stand with you in the trials and in the trouble and that he knows your past, he knows your sin, he knows your shame and none of it is too big and he is at work in your life even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, even when you don't know it, he is working and he is at work building this church. He's at work through the power of his Holy Spirit, equipping people, encouraging people, filling people. He's at work wanting to uh, turn all things to good for those who love him. That's, that's what this book is about. It's about a redemption plan, a God of the Bible who is absolutely in the big things, in the miracles and in the power things and in the separating, passing of the waters and the turning the water and the wine. And he's in all of that, but he's also in the fabric of our lives, in our workplaces and our relationships, in the ins and outs. Nothing remarkable happens in this book. 
but God's weaved into it all the way through. And just as um, Ruth kind of shares her loyalty to Naomi and says, I will be, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, we find that Boaz, he shares his loyalty to Ruth. And he ends up saying that, uh, I want to have to find it now. He says to her, um, if, yeah, if this guy is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. I will redeem you. I will be with you. I am committed to you. That's what Boaz does. That's what Jesus does for us. And so here you go. How are you doing in the waiting? What circumstances and situations are you in that you want God to break through and he hasn't quite done it yet? What challenges are you facing right now? What circumstances do you think, God, I want you to do this. I want you to break in. I want you to change this situation. But he hasn't quite done it yet. Why don't you just bring those things to mind? Those hopes and dreams that you've had. Those, those promises that you feel like God has given you that have been spoken over and you think, God, you, I remember you said this about my life. Well, where is it? What's happened? It's been so different to what you, you said. Where are those things where you think, you, you thought you were going to be one place or you're somewhere else and right now you're waiting for God to break through. Just in your heart, I just thought, why don't you just bring them to mind? And what I do want to do, I just want to pray for you. And, um, and I want everyone in the room to be able to just participate in this. So even worship team, why don't you just stay where you are so you can join in as well. And we'll come back to worship in a minute. Let's just take a moment to pray. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to just by yourself. Why don't you just lift those things to God? It might be you've never prayed before. You don't know how to pray. Well, you can just say, God, I don't know if you're real, but these are some things that I was hoping for. Help me in this season now whilst I'm waiting for those things to take place. Let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for every single one of us in this room here today. And uh, Lord, I thank you for this book of Ruth. I thank you, Lord God, for how we see you moving in and out of these pages three and a half thousand years ago. And yet, Lord, we know that the things that happen there are just as true for us today now. And I thank you, I thank you, Jesus, that that you are honourable, you are worthy. You are respectful. Lord, you don't force any one of us to come to you. But you're so glad when we do. You're so delighted when we do. And I thank you, Lord God, that just like Boaz was, you know, ecstatic. He, he was ready to go in to, to, to 
to journey towards Ruth, to do everything he can. He didn't force her. And I thank you, you don't force us either. But Lord, I pray for every single one of us, Lord, that you would help us to draw near to you even now. Help us to have that courage and boldness to take steps towards you. Lord, we, just like Ruth, Lord, we want to trust that actually in you in you is the only place where we can find that wings of protection that covering of love and grace and fulfillment Lord we know that you are the only one who will never let us down who will never give up on us who will never leave us or forsake us thank you that we can know your power and your presence in our lives every single day and so I just pray right across this room would you pour out your Holy Spirit Would you fill people with your love and your grace? Would you help them to know that you are God, that you're real, that you're with them, that you haven't abandoned them, that there is no sin or shame or there's no past history, there's no event, there's no circumstance that is too big for you to pour out your grace on them. Thank you that, yeah, like Boaz, you are just so generous and so gracious and so willing, Lord God. Thank you that we can come before you and... We can put our trust in you and we can live for you. And I, and I just pray, Lord God, that um, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to do that daily, to put our trust in you and to follow you and to serve you. And Lord God, for, for those of us who perhaps have known you for many months or many years, who expected certain things to happen in our lives, who right now are sitting in difficult circumstances or situations, who are waiting to see how you're going to settle the matter, who are waiting to see what, what's going to unfold, what's going to take place. Those of us who are waiting on health things to come through, those who are waiting for circumstances or situations or work or employment or relational things to work themselves out, Lord, I pray would you give us boldness and courage to wait in these moments. I pray would you fill us with your spirit. Would you give us strength to face each day? Would you help us to have patience and grace and kindness to those who are around us who are who are in the situation with us? I pray would you give us a boldness and a courage to uh, trust in you regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation. Help us, Lord God, not to fall away not to wither not to abandon not to run away but to to stand firm in you to step into all that you've called us to help us not to lose heart but to have hope thank you Lord God there's so much hope to be found in you and that we can trust you Lord God and we know that there is a future and a hope Lord God we know that you're able to turn all things to good for those who love you and we're trusting you Lord Jesus we're we're saying now Lord we are trusting you and we're standing firm in your promises we're saying Lord God you are at work that you you have called us into being that you know everything about us you, you set the boundaries of our lives and our context and our time frames for each and every one of us. And you've placed us in this place for now for purpose. And so, Lord, we're looking to you. We're saying, Lord, we trust you in that. And so we're asking you, Lord, would you have your way? Help us, even though we don't get it, even though we don't understand all that's going on, even though the circumstances and the situation of life are confusing, Lord, we're saying we are trusting you and we're choosing to follow you in this season. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's get the band up, sort of awkward transition moment. As they do, why don't you stand? Let's stand together. And uh, I want to encourage you in this time of worship to keep, you know, keep praying, invite God into your life. Why don't you just ask him even now? Why don't you just, again, tell him you love him? 
Say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I can't do this by myself. I need your strength. I need your power at work in my life. Invite him into your heart, even again right now. Even for the first time, why don't you just invite him in and say, Lord, would you refresh my soul? I just see like a picture of a waterfall just washing over every single one of you. I'm just asking, Lord God, refresh every single one. Pour out your spirit on them. Would they know your goodness even right now today? Would they know your love, abundant, overflowing, filled up in their lives? Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.